Welcome to the Moe's Podcast. Uh, I'm Francesca Honey. And I'm Noah Ross. And we both are staffers at Moe's Books in Berkeley, California. Um, And this is our first episode of a podcast that we are making about, you know, Moe's and other things, books, the literature world, you know. Book selling. Book selling, you name it. We do it. We got it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we're just, uh, we're just like old pros. So how long? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. We're what counts as junior staff. Uh, I've been working at Moe's for two years now. This week, actually. So woohoo to me! Congratulations. Uh, Thank you. And how long have you been here again? I've been here since September, October, year. Okay. Yeah, it's cool. You're practically a senior staff now. Hardly. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I guess the next, the next most, the longest person who's been there since me is stanley who's been here for 17 years so uh-huh. you know there's just like a big gap there a little bit of a, a gap. little bit of a gap but then there's the 30 something year people and the 40 something year people i think laura and john are all that's left of the 40 absolutely 40 plus that is something i enjoy people. about mose and the crew here it's been around for what are we at 61 years yeah yeah although as most books on telegraph i think probably 50, right. 51 years. Yeah. So, but yeah. we're at this point, we're an institution. Yeah. I mean, if we do say so ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess we're an institution. Well, it's hard to carve out space yeah. as a bookstore um, and to stay around for a while. A lot of bookstores come and go. Yeah. And it's rare to be in a place um, that has even maintained the same spot for 50 so years, let yeah. alone been a bookstore for over 60. Right. Yeah, I mean, and, and you think about, like, like all the other... What are the other, like, really long-standing bookstores? There's, there's like, The Strand. There's Powell's. I mean, there's I'm sure there's others. Um, but there's... You can kind of count them on two hands, almost. Like, Absolutely. there's not so many that have been around that long. Um, because then, so many went out of business during the internet boom. Absolutely. And so many, too, um, just came and went out of other factors... Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really hard to get a bookstore going. Yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't even know what that's like, because obviously we weren't around when the, <laughs> when this place was uh, started up. Um, you know, where does they, where do the books come from, even? You Absolutely. Know? And that's what I think um, some other bookstores have run into. I guess if you're a used bookstore, that's part of the problem. As a new bookstore, I guess that might be easier to just order in a bunch of stock. Um, but as a used bookstore, I guess you'd probably just have to scout books for a really long time and go to rummage sales and other bookstores and just find things and, and amass things for a while before you could even open a store. Yeah. I don't even know how you would do that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, something that we do and that I guess this uh, art shop has done where we're currently sitting mm-hmm. um, is go to libraries, right. make connections with rare book dealers. Yeah. You kind of already have to be in the book business. Absolutely. Or at least have connections. Yeah, right. Well, I mean, the story of Black Oak Books is an interesting one. Did you hear about that? Yeah, it was started by Moe's former employees. Yeah, and they would buy, they bought books from here. Like, that's how they they got their stock from Moe's. Like, and then they started their own bookstore off the back of that. Mm. Um, And and then, like, marked up the prices a lot. (laughs) (laughs) But they're not around anymore. And, Unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> I see that sometimes working downstairs, I'll have people coming and buying a number of books. Um, and they're dealers, but they also run their own bookstores, mostly yeah. in San Francisco. Yeah, yeah. 
um, and specialty bookstores too. And they'll come here and pick up books that work for their store. Yeah. Um, yeah, there was one person who I think had a more culinary focused bookstore mm -hmm. kind of recently came by and bought some great books. Yeah. But bookstore to bookstore connections, that's right. certainly one way to do it. Yeah, being a part of the, of the community. Um, but, you know, I mean, even on this block, we've seen in, you know, probably just in the past 15 years, at least three or four bookstores that used to be here come and go. Um, like you had Cody's that's gone now. Mm -hmm. And um, then laterally in that space, you had the Mad Monk, which is now out of business and and of course, Shakespeare and Co. Shakespeare and Company, yeah, that's another one. Um, and those are just the ones that I can think of right now. Like, right. there might be other ones even since the 60s. You know? oh. And Shambhala was there for a long time, and now it's not anymore. And, where was know. Black Oak? That was in North Berkeley, I think. I mm -hmm. think it's where BookSync is now, but I'm not sure. Mm. Um, but, you know, also in Berkeley, but not, not on Telegraph. Um, but yeah, Shambhala also was started out of Moe's. Um, oh, I didn't, didn't yeah, know that. Yeah, it was um, a couple of employees. I mean, our coworker Kim has a full story because she was around then. Um, but she's told me that, that there were uh, a couple of workers at, well, I don't know if they were even workers at Moe's, but they were like regulars at Moe's. And they um, managed, Moe let them have like a shelf in right. the store where they had their Buddhism books for sale. And then you know, it sort of became a shelf and then the shelf became an aisle and then eventually they opened up a shop next door and it was like, you know, they, the sort of symbiosis. And I think Moe's has spawned a number of bookstores over the years, like, you know, Logos in Santa Cruz. Mm -hmm. I think they were either inspired by or former workers of Moe's or new Mo or whatever. It's like, I mean, like at, at the risk of sounding too self-important here, like, <laughs> Like, it's been a big part of the book community in the Bay Area for a long time. You know? Logos is another bookstore that unfortunately recently closed. Yeah, yeah, last year. That's right. Um, and, you know, you just, it's it's really sad because you do hear about, um, like, I've been hearing about the book business. Oh, it's it's doing so much better now. It's like bookstores are back in business. And, and I think that my feeling is that I think that mostly applies to new bookstores because mm -hmm. I don't a lot of used bookstores aren't doing so well you mm -hmm. know like like used bookstores you, you see fewer of them like they're going out of business yeah I think that Still. also has to do with um the cost of new books new books can keep people in business mm -hmm. they're pretty pricey and they've only been getting pricier yeah whereas selling used books feels like almost a political act mm of getting information out to people at affordable costs and undercutting publishers definitely you know in a certain way and you know and and sometimes we even undercut ourselves if we have a used book of a book that we have new you know it's it's at a much reduced price at 60 percent of the of the list price that's like we're we're also undercutting ourselves by doing that but but it's yeah. funny <laughs> you know but it's but it's 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 important to have used books i think and also because um, and I've said this before, I think that a used bookstore is really, uh, you know, it, it needs the community to thrive in a yes. way that a new bookstore doesn't necessarily. Like, I mean, obviously new bookstores need customers to come in, but a used bookstore, they need people to sell us their books. Like, we, we, we need people to come in and bring us their books. And if people stop bringing us good books, then we don't have good books anymore. Exactly. You know, exactly. so we, I think part of the reason why Moses is still here is because of Berkeley and because 
um, we're a scholarly bookstore and so we can get those cool books and also because of the connections that um, that people who've been working here a long time have like John who knows people and can go to these fabulous libraries and and pick up 200 boxes of books like he did this week you know like these kinds of things smaller bookstores maybe like Shakespeare and Co wouldn't have had the the capacity to do that 100% we have the space for 200 boxes of books I mean barely but they're here but we make it work somehow make it work somehow it's a big old mess but we don't care yeah that's how we like it (laughs) it is how we like it but also through these connections we know how to sell these books who Mm -hmm. needs these books john's got impeccable connections across this country Mm -hmm. where he'll see a book and go oh i've got someone in west virginia looking for this and you go amazing how do you know that yeah and we have the capacity to ship it out ourselves to west virginia right which other bookstores don't have to shipping is a big deal it is being able to sell books online um you know as much as we are not fans of Amazon. We have we go through them, you know, and and that's a really interesting issue too. Yeah. Is yeah. um how do we manage um selling books on Amazon and why Who do we sucks? do it? We yeah. kind of have to do it. Yeah. Well, I heard a story um I can't remember who told me this not too long ago, which was when Amazon was just getting started. They came to Mo and they said, "Hey, we want you to sell your books on our used book website. No way. And I think he essentially told him to go to hell. You know, right. he said like, no, no, we're not going to do that. That's crazy. Right. Like, that's stupid. Um, and, and so we didn't. And then now <laughs> we do. So it's, I mean, I, I personally think that like, cause it's one of the things that's keeping us afloat. Yes. As much as Amazon is this horrible corporation and Jeff Bezos is like, you know, we all know terrible what he's like <laughs> terrible to his workers yeah, right uh, we're recording this i guess on the second day of the amazon strike started yeah. by workers in spain it's yeah. expanded to workers in germany yeah <laughs> yeah i mean and and so it's it's an interesting situation to be at a store that we're politically conscious you know but also this sort of contradiction of, of the online book selling business and how how it has really changed book selling and because, I mean, you know, it's been political about whether we sell books on Amazon at this store. Like, yeah. we're Telegraph Books on Amazon because an old employee did not like the fact that we were selling books on Amazon and deleted our account one time. <laughs> um, and and then once you've deleted an account on Amazon, you can't use the same username. So we uh, couldn't be most books on Amazon anymore after that, which is why that's we're the story books. of our name. Yeah. Fascinating. Yeah. So that, um, our old accountant? No, no, that was um, Ken, who used to be John's counterpart up here. Ah, um, do you know the story of our old accountant? Uh, I don't think so. Audrey had been our accountant since the days of Mo. Yeah. Um, and when we started selling books on Amazon, she was an old-timey anarchist, um, mm-hmm. and out of protest, quit and said she couldn't be a part of a store that sold on Amazon, and that mm. we had betrayed Mo's wishes. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, she might have been right. <laughs> Absolutely. But it's a very complicated issue. Yeah. As we do depend on it to a certain extent yeah. for the store's survival. Yeah. And I think uh, in the early days of Amazon, um, a lot of bookstores came across that same conflict mm-hmm. with their employees. Well, yeah, because it, it has been responsible also for driving a lot of bookstores out of business entirely. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that one of the things that that we do that does sometimes subvert that is 
people find books that we're selling on Amazon and then they order them from us direct instead. Mm-hmm. Um, and that way we get the full profit. We don't have to give any portion to Amazon for that. And I think we can save them on shipping sometimes too. I'm not sure, but, but it's, it's just easier to deal with us without having to deal with Amazon as this middleman. I didn't know that people did that. Yeah, they sometimes do. That's really great. Yeah. Because we do have our books listed on our website and we yeah. have other yeah. databases. Right. And, and it's, um, and sometimes people will just order it straight through us. Um, and, you know, and they call us over the phone and we take them from our warehouse and we just ship them from here. So it's, I mean, it's the kind of thing we do when someone orders it on Amazon anyway, but, but people sometimes just phone us and and we do it that way. So, you know, if you're listening, you're welcome to call us. (laughs) Yeah. You know, any book that you see listed on Amazon, we can, we can get for you. Um, if, even if you don't want to go through Amazon, um, so that's a good alternative, I think. ABE books and yeah. Libris and Biblia, you know, like all of the other online books selling platforms that you can find, we're also on. So, you know, you can avoid Amazon too. You know, it's like, so we try and avoid it <laughs> while, while the strike's going on. I haven't, I mean, I, I don't have Prime. I don't order things on Amazon, you know. Yeah, I don't either. Yeah. Um, although I did read that um, there was a giant site crash. Um, yeah. We were kind of dealing with that yesterday i guess amazon was up in the store just to check prices on books Mm -hmm. um but it wouldn't even let us check prices on books i think we mostly avoided using amazon anyway um do you want to talk about what you're reading right now yeah i'm reading a lot of good things um there's so many things to read that is the beauty of working in the Mm -hmm. bookstore um you're constantly confronted with so many beautiful books new and old uh that come through um and it's somewhat overwhelming at times (laughs) Yeah, I actually read a lot more now than I used to, just because um, I am a used book buyer, and um, I get to look at all these books that people bring in, and I see so many interesting things that I would probably never have heard of, um, you know, if I wasn't in here every day. Uh, and it's just it's just awesome, because I found so many things that that are truly fascinating to me that, that you, may, you never would have found out about. I 100% agree. Um, and I think a part of that is also working in the Bay Area, which mm. has such a rich literary history. There's so many authors and very important uh, literary movements that have taken place um, and been birthed in this area. Yeah. Um, like just a few weeks ago, um, over the counter, we got a copy of Valencia by Michelle T, mm. who's a brilliant author. Um, I believe... Michelle's currently in LA, yeah. but um, Valencia is about the street, Valencia oh, in, in the mission. Yeah. yeah, right. And it's a lot of these beautiful um, narratives of the 90s mission and just lesbian social life. Mm-hmm. And it's these really fascinating short chapters about these intertwining lesbian affairs. Um, mm-hmm. Really important queer history goes down mm-hmm. in this book. Yeah. And a lot of the narratives and events take place in these uh, lesbian bars. Most of these bars aren't even around anymore. Right, right. And so I've been really looking to the literature of this area to get kind of a grasp on local queer history. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of the one of the only places where you see remnants of queer bars um, still alive, especially yeah. with gentrification in the yeah, area. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, things have changed a lot here, but you do know, like, there's tons of... Uh, really well-known authors who came out of here and who sort of got their start here and and you can see influences of um of berkeley and of of the east bay in the san francisco and in a lot of literature um and just to sort of 
be here and, and also be reading books about the area is really interesting because you can see the sort of layers of history that have um, that have come through. Um, so that's part of why it's so cool to be here because you know there's so much history of, of the book world and of the literature world. Yeah, and people still really care about that history. Um, I'm reviewing this book that uh, was published by Wolfman, another great bookstore um, in Oakland. And they just published this book co-edited by Eric Sneathan and Daniel Benjamin, uh, two great local poets and people really interested in poetic history. Mm -hmm. uh, they've both done a lot of great work on new narrative. Um, and it's this book called The Bigness of Things that was released in conjunction with uh, the Communal Presences New Narrative Conference that took place on the Berkeley campus mm. last October, I want to say. Yeah, I think it was October. Mm. Um, and it's a collection of essays by a bunch of great local authors. Um, Matt Sussman, Brandon Callender, Jamie Townsend, Stephanie Young, Ishmael Muhammad, Sid Stady, uh, and Brandon Brown. Um, and it includes all of these wonderful inserts of art from some classic new narrative yeah. writers' houses. Um, we're talking Kevin Killian and Dodie Bellamy, their apartment, uh, Bruce Boone, Robert Gluck, um, and I think also Jocelyn Sadenberg. Um, and you see this kind of beautiful and fascinating uh, connection between authors and their communities through like shared artworks and people making things for one another and their shared mm -hmm. spaces, the communities that arose in the 70s and the 80s and the 90s that are yeah. still growing and still connected. Um, and you'll go to a reading and see these folks out there. Um, and the history is very much alive. Yeah. The great part of uh, working at a bookstore also is that, you know, you get to feel really connected to the literary community is um, authors coming in and saying, oh, hey, that's my book. Can I sign it? And, you know, that's that's a really fun interaction to get to have with somebody that they're excited to see their book in the store. And, you know, you get to meet somebody who's written a piece of work that's that's out there in the world and and you know it's just it's just great to be a part of the community around here 100 percent. and also we hold so many events at the store that kind yeah. of foster a literary community um amongst and between our authors and also our regulars and the people who are interested in these authors and that community is ever expanding our events we have them probably, what, like once a week, twice a week? Yeah, it sort of depends on whether we're having a, a busy, you know, events period. What have you been reading these yeah. days? Um, well, right now I, I picked up this great edition of um, the His Dark Materials series. Great. The, store, the Everyman Library did a collected edition with this beautiful dust jacket. When I saw it, I fell in love with it instantly. Of course. Um, and I couldn't resist it, so I took it home. And... Um, you know, Philip Pullman wrote this book, wrote these three books for children, but, um, and I read them when I was like nine or 10, but I, you know, as I started reading, um, the golden compass again, I realized that I don't remember any of it. So <laughs> I, it's basically like reading it for the first time, which is pretty awesome. Yeah, you know, I, haven't, I know I haven't had that experience with the book I loved as a kid. All I could remember was there's a plucky young heroine running around alternate universe Oxford, England with a demon, right, you know, right. and, and now it's like, oh, there's this whole plot line that I completely forgot about. And it's totally new. So and I remember it being somewhat radical, too. It was like this girl yeah. and her animal soul part. Yeah saving the world yeah i mean and and i think that this is one of the 
Philip Pullman embodies a lot of what I love about children's literature yes. is um, because you read this book and and you get the sense that he is speaking. If you're a child, he is speaking to you. Mm. You know, he gets it when you know when you're a kid and you can tell instantly when an adult doesn't respect you. Yes. You know, when you're a child and you can see that they're talking down to you or doing voices or whatever, like, yes. you know, you know, and you know that they don't, they're not, uh, for you, you know? Um, yeah. and, and you, you get a, a version of that in the character of, um, of God, I can't remember her name. Lydia? No, no. She's the, the, um, Oh, the Mrs. evil. Yeah. The evil Mrs. One. something. Yeah, the evil yeah. lady. Yeah. <laughs> I can't remember her name. Um she's like Miss Mrs. something. Um I can't remember. That's okay. But but you know, it's it's just great and and I and I love the worlds he creates. Um it, they're so engrossing um and so beautiful and and his language is so literary and and he doesn't, you know, again, he doesn't talk down to kids. He doesn't assume, "Oh, I can't use big words cuz the kids won't understand that." When you're a kid, right. you pick stuff up. You know, and you yes. get context clues and maybe you don't understand every word you read. But I mean, honestly, that's how I learned most words is I would be reading a book and I would ask my mom, what does this mean? Right. You know, and then she would say, I don't know. Let's look it up in the dictionary. And then we would get, you know, I learned words. And that like is that. how you learn. I remember right. um, reading Wrinkle in Time. Yeah. And learning the word tesseract. <laughs> yeah. I mean, but was that even, is that even a real word or did she make it up? I don't up? even know, but it's beautiful. And then they used it in the Avengers movie. <laughs> oh, I didn't see that. <laughs> yeah. It was, I mean, I, when I reread A Wrinkle in Time, it was another book that I didn't really remember from when I was a kid. It was, I mean, even as an adult, it's hard to understand because everything is described as like indescribable. Exactly. Um, and so it's really hard to picture in your head when you're a kid or even an adult. Mm -hmm. Um, but the tesseract thing, um, or yeah, it's it's like I think she might have made it up. I think I it might have know. some like geometry roots of yeah. some sort. Or maybe it it's sounds... a theoretical term that they came up with about time travel long ago. But <laughs> but the Tesseract is this little cube in the Avengers movie. And it of is... course that's what it's the four dimensional analogue of the cube. The Tesseract is to the cube as the cube is to the square. Okay, well I didn't know that. Thanks. Thanks, Wikipedia. We're not mathematicians. We're <laughs> <laughs> time travelers. Um. Coined and first used in 1888 by Charles Howard Hinton in his book, A New Era of Thought. Uh. From the Greek, tesseraeus actines, huh. four rays. Wow. Referring to the four lines from each vortex to other vertices. That's a good word. It is. Tessellation. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. Well, so that's good to know. Learn something new every day. <laughs> that's that's again the beauty of working in a bookstore. Exactly. You just gotta keep a curious mind and look things up. I think I did see the word tesseract on one of those obscure math books we got in. Huh. We get them in probably you know once or twice a week. A pile theoretical of theoretical mathematics. Yeah, exactly. The the Springer editions. Yeah. 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 Yep, and they're all you know, $150 online or something like exactly, that. Exactly, exactly. And I will never read any of them. That's I won't okay. either. It I've is made okay. my peace with that. <laughs> we all leave have it our to, strengths. Leave it to the mathematicians to read it, and they'll get back to me on, on what it's about. <laughs> Sometimes they do try to tell me about uh, these math books and what they're about. We have a few regulars who buy math books pretty frequently, mm -hmm. and I got in a conversation with one of them probably about a week or two ago. Mm -hmm. Super sweet guy, and he was trying to explain, um, like, theoretical geometry to me, I just got to the point where I was smiling and nodding. <laughs> just so yeah. over my head. Yeah. That's okay. It's beautiful. It is beautiful. Those things still exist, you know? Like, 
it's great to not know everything. And yeah. I'm a big fan. And we're always learning. That's yeah. the beauty of books. Yeah. You can always teach yourself something new. Yeah, right. I probably won't be teaching myself theoretical geometry, though, <laughs> I have to say. <laughs> That's okay. I, 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 I sort of moved away from that path. A while ago. A while ago. <laughs> you know, it's not too late, Francesca. It's true. It's true. Maybe in maybe in my midlife crisis, I'll figure out. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Leaving doors open. Right. Yes. Yeah. Never ruled anything out. This is fun. I'm excited to um, get more guests. Definitely. To have maybe other coworkers join us on this. Um, yes. Maybe we're going to interview people who come here to read books. Mm-hmm. Um you know, we're looking for suggestions. So anyone who's listening, let us know what you what are you curious about um, about Moe's about working in a bookstore. Um, we'd love to hear it. Um, very interested in answering any questions you might have. Yeah, you can. Uh, okay. But thank you for listening. Thank you for listening. Um, I've been Francesca Honey. I'm Noah Ross. And we are recording at Moe's Books in Berkeley, California, on Telegraph Avenue. Thanks for being with us today.